Trigger warning. Please note this episode contains a discussion of suicide, self-interest behavior, depression, eating disorders, and or reference to other mental health disorders that may act as triggers. So please continue at your own discretion. I am not a doctor or medical professional. The information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome back to another episode of the Know Your Power podcast. I'm your host, Julia Renee. I am Kendall Graboff. And today, guys, we have a special guest, one of my recent friends, Rue, or other people might know her on Instagram and TikTok as the Little Fit Beast. I actually remember seeing you first on TikTok, and it was one of your viral videos, and I was like, oh my God. I was like, this, she's so cute and tiny, but she's so fucking powerful and so strong, and I was like, I, can't, I really just want to meet her someday, and then now she's here in the studio with us getting ready to tell us about her life, because I want to so know excited. a little bit more. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> um, so I just thought we can kind of start off with just your story. Like, I'm sure people want to know a little bit more about you and they see the incredible, strong power lifter that you are, but how did you get to be this amazing woman that you are? So start from the beginning and spare no details. From the beginning, beginning. Where and are you from? <laughs> how did you get into fitness? Okay. You're like, yeah. first just I was born. all of born. the fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my mom and my dad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the birds um, and the bees. The birds and the bees. Um, I've played... I've, not every sport, but like a lot of sport from uh, horseback riding, swimming, tennis, gymnastics, karate, track, cross country. And then I fell into figure skating when I was around 11. I used to do figure skating. No way. Mm-hmm. That oh, was yeah. my first sport. Okay. It's like so toxic, but it's, it's, it's a beautiful <laughs> sport. It's a beautiful sport. Um, So I was competitive maybe for about like seven, eight years, so maybe around 10 to like 18-ish. Um, And that was kind of like the beginning of, I think, what I would consider my fitness journey. Um. I was training 27 to 30 hours a week. Wow. And That's a lot. I was up at 4 a.m. with my mom about six days a week. And then I would go to like four different rinks, just wake up, go to the rink, go back to school, be at school for like four periods, go back to training, and then just do schoolwork and repeat. How long did you do that for? About seven years. Wow. And then I ended up, I had, I think, five coaches, and I couldn't go 24 hours without an adult figure in my life telling me to lose weight at one point. <gasps> so this was me like, about to reach 100 pounds this is me like inching towards like 96 pounds 97 pounds mm. um i'm five feet tall so it's like it's, it's not a lot a lot but yeah figure skating world it is a lot um and then they would say like oh you know like if you if you had less legs if you had less butt if you had less stomach you'd be able to, you'd be able to uh, lay on this jump clean and then so i started internalizing my need to stay small and then so that manifested itself into a slow and gradual spiral into a full-blown eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So then I think I started my first time trying to, like, just get rid of food was in seventh grade. And then I was like, oh, this is easy. Like, I can still enjoy food and then not, I guess, suffer the calories. And then so once I realized that, it kind of just took on its own spiral. And then it was, like, a double life where, like, no one knows about it. And yeah. I felt so much shame around it. Um and yeah, I think I fell into, I think all eating disorders come with a mental, other mental health issues too. So mm-hmm. I was ex- like extremely depressed. I had anxiety my whole life too. So I think I started having anxiety attacks like in fourth grade. So that just made everything worse. And then um, because of the malnutrition, I ended up falling this one day and I had two stress fractures and two bulges. And that's kind of like towards the end oh of my, my figure skating career. But yeah. that kind of propelled us. So basically that injury um, was like a deciding factor in me going to college because I wasn't planning on going to college before. So then once I went to college, um, I started kind of changing the trajectory of like where I was going to go to. And then when I became, I used to be a high school teacher. So that was like- the Were you beginning. really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. T- I'm like, wait, how old are you? How no, many lives have you lived? I was going to ask because I actually don't know. How old are you currently? I'm 29. Okay. Oh okay. my <laughs> God. I'm over here like, she's 23 and she's done all that. Like, and I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. Wait, you're- Teacher, you seven years. I'm like, math, uh, that's not possible. That's so, so I taught algebra two and geometry in high school. Um, I was and terrible wh- at those. I was, I love math. Um, I was born and raised in LA. I moved out to Memphis, Tennessee to teach. And that was my first time where I went from like, I went to USC for high school or for college. Mm-hmm. So that's like, like 10 years ago, like the beauty standards, like the washboard abs. Mm. Everyone's talking about the Everyone's thigh gap. so skinny. Yeah. Right. 
So I was like, okay, so I went from that beauty standard to like moving to the South where everyone just like talks about having meat on your bones. And like, if you're looking skinny, they're like, you got to eat some ribs, get you wow. some cornbread. So it was like a huge culture shock where I'm like, wait, you can be desirable by like not being stick skinny. Like mm-hmm. you're required to be in LA. So I think I was meant to be there, but during the time I was there, there's really not a lot of hobbies available. So I couldn't pursue like dance if I wanted to. Um, so I just kind of signed up for a gym and then I was like, the typical cardio bunny and I was like hours on the treadmill hours mm-hmm. on the stairmasters after work um during that time even though being in like a new area where the culture is different were you still battling eating disorders oh yeah I was still okay. growing up on a regular basis okay. but I think that's when I first started changing so I think maybe a year or two into my lifting journey where I started dabbling into weights um that was like when I was like watching YouTube videos of Guzman, uh-huh. Bunny, Nikki Blackadder, and uh, I think Amanda Bucci. And then so watching them get into lit or get into weight, uh, weightlifting, uh-huh. I think was like sparked my curiosity into stepping foot in the free weight area. Um, so that was like my beginning, beginning journey. And then when I went back to LA, I joined, I joined a gym where there was a lot of powerlifters and they're like, well, you're strong. You should like, you should compete. And I was like, no, I like have because of my history with food. I don't want to put myself in a position where I'm like micromanaging a food intake. Mm-hmm. So they were like, no, well, powerlifting is like more focused on performance as opposed to aesthetics and just, just show up as you are. Don't mm. focus on the food. I'm don't focus so on jealous the of that. That's awesome. <laughs> I love really, powerlifting it's so liberating. much. liberating. And mm-hmm. it's just, you just get to focus on like moving as much weight as you possibly can. So I was like, okay. And then, yeah, like the first competition that I competed at, I won and I qualified for nationals. I went to nationals. I broke, I think, two or three records. Oh my gosh. And then I just started competing since. And I was like, I just got on a high of like, oh, like, just being able to focus on what my body can do was a huge factor in me being able to transition from seeing food as like something that I need to punish myself for mm-hmm. through working out to seeing it as fuel. Cause I knew that people said that, but I didn't really, you don't know. know We've had those means. talks on here too, about like how it's so hard to, when you're raised or changed to believe food is just a means to like lose weight. It's so hard to remember like, oh, this is making us feel better. This is making us move weight. Like, yeah, it's, it's like crazy. Feel, like literal feel, you know? So I think that was like really the beginning of making sustainable and lasting transformation That's mentally, awesome. but also physically too. I was just going to ask, um, like is social media or powerlifting your full-time job now? It is like as of this year. So Yay! I'm like so excited. excited, so grateful. Wow. Um, so this has been, yeah, it's like just to think about how I started my 20s as a high school teacher and now I'm like a full time content creator. Just wild. Just very grateful. That's so crazy. I'm over here like, there's so many things that you have done and like experienced. And I was like thinking that you were 23 and I was, <laughs> I was like, what the? Hell? You have amazing skin. I think yes. that's why. <laughs> I also thought you were very young. Yes, that's so crazy. <laughs> So I really, like, I want to dive into the first portion of your story when you were talking about the ice skating. So I feel like with me, I started as a wrestler and that's where my binge binge eating disorder started. Mm -hmm. And I now realize that at 25, that that's the root cause of it. So now you're 29 and you can look back and think, okay, I did ice skating for seven years and this was kind of where it all started. Because like we see on this podcast a lot is that we start on this planet as babies and things just sort of happen, you know, things are caught and some things are actually taught by our parents and by friends that we're around and things start to change, especially the food aspect of it. Like we were saying, food is fuel. Mm -hmm. That's what it has been put on this planet for and nothing else, but we have changed it to mean X, Y, and Z. We've changed it to be food is a means of looking a certain way instead of fueling a certain way. So tell us a little bit about that and like that industry and how that all started and what it was like before and then how it shifted. Okay. I a hundred percent agree that everything that we understand and like that, the way that our outlook on life is like just layers and layers of conditioning as a byproduct of everyone that we encounter. And for sure is like, so when I was figure skating, I had one 
coach who was like a ballet a ballet coach for figure skaters mm-hmm. and she was like a prima uh, i think that's what you call it prima donna for yeah ballerinas right <laughs> um so she initially was the one who like would come up to me and be like okay get rid of this and she would just pinch oh my gosh my wow. body and be like get rid of this by next week yeah and then i was like i don't i don't know how to i'm like literally in seventh grade you know i'm like 11 maybe um and then so i would ask her and then she would tell my mom to put me on a 400 calorie diet <gasps> so at that time like i don't really know oh calories God. so this is like my first exposure to like learning how to count calories yeah and then me like so i just remember like looking at like a nature valley granola bar and i think that's like 190 calories mm-hmm. i was like that's like half my day's worth of calorie intake mm-hmm. so that was like the beginning where i was like okay well for breakfast i can only have one bar and then i can have half a banana and then i was like i need to scale everything so that it fits like the 104 the 400 calories and you're how old at this i think 11 or 12 Dude. that's so young and so this was, like, me, like, I've never really had, like, bodily awareness until then, until she started, like, pinching my body, and, like, yeah. I would start just, you know, just, like, walking back to the car from uh, figure skating practice, and just, like, look at my legs, and I'm, like, oh, like, I need to, I need to see this as, like, being too much. Mm-hmm. So I started, like, that was my first experience having kind of, like, a bodily awareness, and then um she would tell me that it's like jiggling too much and I'm like okay mm-hmm. and then so she would give me all these techniques and then I would start researching on my own and then so I remember like in middle school that's when I started like taking baths and just rubbing salt until I was bleeding <gasps> and then I would go to sleep with like saran wrap just just wrapped around my years arms, I did my that for stomach, years my thighs. yeah every single night um just hoping to like lose weight and then that kind of spiraled into my first time I was like well I can just throw up the food and I won't ingest it. And I was like, okay. This is like enraging me. It's crazy because like I I experienced it from like 15 and this was because like, like it's a competitive thing, but I'm thinking about, okay, you're like 11 and 12 and there's actually people that are encouraging this behavior. And oh my God, it makes, it just makes me so sad because there's so many people out there that are struggling like this. And it's just wild. Okay, so continue. I'm just. I was gonna ask at this time, like, were you aware of like what eating disorders were, like what bulimia was, or did you? So you fully were like, oh well, if I don't eat the food, right? Okay, so I started out with logic. Yeah, I I don't eat it, I won't be right. I'm like, I have a calorie limit, and if I eat like a 200 calorie snack, but I throw it up, which is nothing to start with. That's like that's so little food already. Yeah, that's crazy. Throw it up. I'm like, just it takes away the calories, and I was like, okay, I just need to meet the 400 calorie intake. So on days where, like, I couldn't throw up, I would just be anorexic. And then it started out from, like, being anorexic on weekdays and then bulimic on weekends. And then that spiraled into seven days just being bulimic to one point. Like, when I was at home all day just studying, I was, like, a goody two-shoes, too. Like, I took all eight classes. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have days where I'm, like, throwing up seven days, like, or seven times a day. So, like, every little – I had, like, this – abstract idea of like oh from the time I start eating I need to throw up within two hours to make sure I don't ingest the calories mm-hmm. so that was like something that I randomly made up um but yeah so I think that was my first understanding of like looking at my body as too much and mm-hmm. then taking up too much space and then understanding calories too. was anyone noticing or saying anything or you fully kept it hidden so when I first started like taking the bulimia aspect slowly and just being like, okay, this needs to be a full-time thing instead of just on weekends. I think that was maybe my sophomore or junior year. And then from that point on, I was like, like I need, I, the, my willpower can be like, it's such a double-edged sword because I can use it to commit to something so unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So at that point I was like, no, I need to take this more serious. So from the time that I took bulimia to a next level or to the, I scaled it, I was able to lose, um, over 20 pounds in about like a little over four weeks wow yeah so that was that's crazy that's when people were like oh like good job like my coaches were like good job so then you were being praised for this that's crazy i was like okay like that made me feel really good and Mm -hmm. i craved like just being praised and being approved of and being Mm -hmm. enough for like my my coaches and my parents so me having that reinforcement of like Oh, good job. Okay, now you're competitive. Like now, yeah. this is going to be enough. I was like, okay, this is good. Yeah. Now, so. now it just propels what you did to yeah. do it more because it was a good thing. Exactly. And mm-hmm. when you're young, it's like your brain is so moldable, so you really don't know what is quote good, what is quote bad. So when people praise something that isn't healthy to your mental or your mm-hmm. physical, then you're like, okay, I'll just I just keep doing this thing. Yeah. Because we're so moldable. When did yeah. you realize like maybe this isn't healthy or maybe this isn't a good thing? I think just the fact that I was, like, crying every day. Um, but you're so right about us being multiple. It's, like, 
just growing up, like, I think everything boils down to a need to be accepted and loved, right? So I'm, like, just mm-hmm. doing everything for to be accepted, to be, to feel like I belong and to feel loved. Mm-hmm. So I think that, and I just felt so alone, I think maybe, like, my junior year, and that was when I went through, like, all my suicidal ideations, and I had a phase where I was completely just, like, just spiraling down to rock bottom. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm around 75 pounds. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, I, like, measured myself. I think I was 3.4 body uh, 3.4 body fat percentage when I was going into my That's, That's like, year. on stage for a man. Yeah, I was, like, <laughs> I've never been yeah. that lean in my body. whole life. Yeah. It was, I was so miserable, and then it was, I don't know, it just felt like I felt like I was carrying so much shame around having this double life, and I think that's when I started realizing, I was, like, I know I need help, but I also didn't want to be here anymore. So that kind of, like, there's a lot of ideations where I was like, oh, like, I would be really relieved and happy if I just didn't exist anymore. Yeah. I was, like, trying to figure out ways to, like, just kind of escape the world. Um, but yeah, I was like, this is probably not good. But I was also just, like, okay with not being good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, because I feel like when you get to that point, too, it's it's almost easier because you're going through all of this stuff and you're going through it and nobody really knows and no one knows the extent of it. And you're experiencing it, it's like, uh, I mean, this just this is all just too much, and I don't want to handle this at one time. So how about just not? Right. Yeah, I'm just not. I feel like then you get stuck in this spiral of like mental and physical health, both like rapidly declining, and it's like you can't fix one without fixing the other. You really have to tackle both. Yeah, I was losing like clumps of hair on a regular oh, yeah. basis. It was just going yeah. out crazy. Like my, I, like my teeth were going bad. Um, just everything. Yeah. yeah Did you, you were like falling apart physically and mentally? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I was going to ask like when it came to recovery, like what did that look like for you? Okay. So oh my God. <laughs> this is, I thought I was going to take this to the grave and I've like shared this on like my very, very first YouTube before. Um, and at the time, because I was like such a goody two shoes, this like scarred me and I felt tremendous amount of guilt for this too. Um, so I got caught shoplifting at Rite Aid trying to, I was like in a desperate place to just like to binge, binge, binge. And I was like, I just needed to make it happen. So this is like something I'm so embarrassed about to this day too. But I'm like so grateful because that was the first time that I said the word bulimia out loud. And then so the Rite Aid person was like, hey, like you can't be doing this. And I was like, and he was just like kind of coming from a place of compassion as opposed to just like condescending treatment. Mm-hmm. And he was like, why are you doing this? And then I was just like, I'm bulimic. And I said that out loud and I was like, oh my God, I'm bulimic. Did you say it out loud to this guy? To this guy. Yeah. And he was like, he was like, I either have to call the cops or I got to call your mom. And I was like, please don't call the cops. And this is me just like in the process of also considering in like college maybe. So Mm -hmm. I was like, my life is going to be ruined. And I already have like so much shame around the eating disorder itself. And I was like, Mm -hmm. if this gets out, like no one knows about this, you know? And I was like, I can't be outed. And so that one, so he was like, okay, if your mom can pick you up, then I'll let you go. And to this day, I'm like so grateful for this man. This guy like, is an angel. Yeah. An angel, like a literal, just like a wake up call. But so that one, uh, when my mom picked me up, she was like, like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean bulimic? Like, what, it, what does that mean? What does that look like? And then I was like, this is just like, I needed to make you guys happy. I needed to make you proud. So then she was like looking up psychiatrists. And at the time, like, Therapy now is so common. Like, I can just talk about being like, you know, oh, this is my therapist. Like, you know, this is what we talked about in therapy today. And no one, you know, bats an eye. So it's like, okay, cool. You're going to therapy. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was like, that wasn't a normal thing. It was like alienating. About. Yeah, like yeah. over 10 years ago, maybe like, yeah, like 15 years ago. Um, And I was like begging my mom. I was like, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. I'll fix myself. I'll fix myself. So like the term fix kind of implies that I am broken. That I'm broken, right? So I was like, I can fix myself. And I was like, I'm not crazy. Um, and then after a little bit of convincing, um, the condition was that she wouldn't tell my younger cousins and my brother. Mm-hmm. And then I would be able to go because I was like, that was my thing. I was like, I need to be a role model for them. And I thought mm-hmm. being going to therapy was like a form of weakness or asking for help was a form of weakness. So I was like, in my head, that took away from my looking or looking or like a like a strong figure. And I wanted to be a strong figure to them. So I was like, OK, as long as they can't, they don't find out. Then I was like, I can go. And he was like, okay. So we started seeing a psychiatrist. And then I, she was like, okay, if you don't fix yourself, then, like, you're not going to go to college until you're better. I was like, I can't do that. 
Um, and then she would like every every single night she would like stand outside the bathroom door to make sure I won't throw up. And I would like use the shower sound to like still get the throw because I can't just like you know you don't just it's hard to it's turn an, off. It's, it's something addictive. you've been doing for right. so long. Yeah, it's a type of addictive mental. I don't want to say illness, but a condition. Mm -hmm. Um. So I think from that point on, I ended up lying my way out of therapy. And they tried to, because I was seeing a psychiatrist, they wanted to put me on meds for like antidepressants. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, I don't want to take pills. I'm very much against pills or at the time. And then uh, I lied my way out of it. I ended up going to college. And I think in college, I started cooking my sophomore year. Mm -hmm. And then everyone was like, oh, you're such a, you know, you're like such a health freak. That's so good. Like, like you eat all these clean things. And I was like known as like this healthy person, right? When really it was the fact that was my first time being able to ingest and being okay with consuming and not throwing up food as long as they weren't processed mm -hmm. as long as i was clean eating then i can like be okay but the second i put in like a condiment or just anything else i would feel the need to throw it up wow. so it was like a very that was like my very beginning baby phase of like recovery mm -hmm. yeah and then um i think during my teaching years i started meal prepping when i was watching YouTubers and, you know, they were mm -hmm. eating as they were leaning out for competition. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, you can eat and, like, lean out. So I was like, that was, like, my first understanding of, like, food doesn't necessarily mean weight gain. And then so that was me trying to understand. But I was still, like, throw up on a regular basis. And I think so my last, quote, unquote, relapse was my birthday, I think, two years ago, two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. But it's just been, like, a very nonlinear, like, Okay, mm -hmm. baby milestone that no one knows about. Another milestone mm -hmm. that no one knows about that, you know, I can't talk about because it's, like, still shameful, but I'm proud of myself for kind of thing. Yeah, so it's a you very, should be. very gradual, gradual, gradual thing, yeah. I yeah. mean, we even talked about it when we went into, like, our experience with binge eating is, like, I still sometimes bring up to Julia, like, I kept cereal in my place today, and, like, I didn't, I didn't uh -huh. binge on it. Like, just little things are still, like, and I'm huge like, accomplishments, and she gets it. And I'm I like, guess. I'm so glad. Like, it's nice having other women, like, first off, I just want to say I'm very impressed on how you just told that whole entire thing. I would wow. be bawling my eyes out. I like briefly mentioned my like suicidal thoughts on a podcast a few weeks ago and just started crying immediately. <laughs> yeah. So like you are very strong and it's like I think it's really empowering and nice to anyone listening that might be relating in similar ways. I feel like we do have young audiences too and a lot of young women and like I'm sure even just you talking about it, even if like part of it is like shameful or embarrassing, like you're helping a lot of people so, so. it's, it's really so. badass of you exactly and it's just like that i want to go back to to that experience with that guy in the store because we all have these moments where something causes us to shift and it could either cause you to propel deeper into the thing that you know you're that's that's harming you or you can completely turn around. And I really think like, even though, like you said, it wasn't linear, it was slow. You took that experience and it was like, oh, wow, like I, this is actually a problem because it caused you to act out of character. Like your character isn't to steal, you know, especially like to steal like food. But the fact that you like went in there and you stole food and it was like, wow, okay, this is, this is when I really realized that it was a problem. And weirdly enough for me, it was I ended up drinking when I noticed that I actually had struggled like with a binge eating disorder. I ended up drinking my friend's almost his whole smoothie that was his cheat meal while he was on prep because he told me I can have a sip and I almost drank all of it. And it was a small little thing. And he was like, dude, he's like, you just drank my whole smoothie. And he didn't realize like in the time like that I was struggling super bad with this thing. And he was just like me. He's like my brother. And he was like, dude, what's up? And I, I went upstairs and I was like bawling. I was like, wow, this is an actual problem. And that's when I realized. And But that moment, it was so small. Yeah. And yours was like a little bit like, obviously, like it could have changed your future and your college. But these moments are when you can choose to go deeper into the thing or you can go through the belly of the beast and get through it. And you did, which is super awesome. You use that experience to propel you into being this amazing person that's inspiring people because there's people that see you on TikTok. They see she's have over a million, right, on TikTok. 
She has like 150K or something or more on Instagram. And there's people that are watching you. There's people that look up to you that wish they can lift as much as you. They probably want to look like you and be like you. And they probably are sitting there thinking that you have all your shit together. Your shit don't stink. That there's (laughs) nothing that you've struggled with. But the fact that you here right now telling your story, you're helping all these younger girls that are struggling right now with this. And they want to be a power lifter and they don't think that they can or they want to be a bodybuilder. They think that they can because they're carrying this guilt and the shame from this thing that they've been dealing with. So it's huge. And that moment was so big for you because after that, you slowly started getting better. Like it was small, like and then you went into school and you started eating without (laughs) like actually causing yourself to throw up. But it, it just got better and better. So I want to go back to the point where you were in... Was it college? When what? When you were, you were starting to get healthy. You're watching YouTubers. You were prepping your meals and everyone was seeing you as the healthy person. I want to also go to the point where people were seeing you as the quote unquote healthy person, because I feel like that can also be detrimental too, Mm -hmm. because then you feel like, oh, I have this identity that I am now. Yeah. It's this another form of praise. Another of like, oh, what I'm doing is right. What I'm doing is good. Then you probably, did you ever feel like you couldn't eat unhealthy because of what people thought your identity was? Um, I didn't want to come off as like a health freak freak, but also, so that was when my eating changed. I think when my recovery so, more so started and like my lifting was post-college as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but in college was when I was doing like literally hours just on the treadmill with a textbook. Um, no, but for sure. It's like when people look to you as like, and that's when my, I first started, uh, consistently posting on Instagram and I would just post meals every day. Mm-hmm. So I think for that too, it was just. I think the only unhealthy thing about it was that I thought it was healthy. I was like, okay, the fact that I'm making Mm -hmm. progress to like just Mm -hmm. digest anything was already progress, which it was. I think it's definitely a thing to praise. Right, that was like a win for me, but I think just – I just didn't know how to balance that. So the second like I wanted to go eat it with my friends or even if it was just like a small cup of yogurt land, I – felt like I couldn't keep that down. So it was like I would eat healthy, but also the second I would have anything that's – not clean quote-unquote clean i was just like okay two hours i need to throw up within two hours at this time so now your psyche is thinking that like okay these are good and these are bad when Mm -hmm. i have these things i am bad therefore Mm -hmm. i must do this thing that makes me feel bad Mm -hmm. right (laughs) it's just crazy like this this cycle that we can put ourselves through and these things that we can turn around into our head to to be a good thing Mm -hmm. because it was a good thing that you were getting healthier, you were keeping food down, but then another problem arose from that that kind of propelled it to be something a little bit different. I always like to say like our problems or things that we're struggling with, or like I like to call them our shadows. They are so, what's the word? They, they, um, they like to camouflage They're shapeshifters. So they like, they'll be in one way and it's like, okay, like I'm, I'm not here anymore, but it'll shape shift into something mm-hmm. else. Like for me, yeah. I wasn't binge eating anymore but I was obsessively focusing on my bodybuilding and I wouldn't have like a gram off of my food. And like, that can be bad. As th- that can be bad too. It's better, I guess, but it can also be super detrimental to my health. And then that was went into like OCD tendencies with keeping my house like obsessively clean to the point where uh, my partner was like, dude, like this is, a- I can't do this. So they're like, they shape shift in different ways. Yeah. So I feel I feel like your journey kind of like shape shifted into the person that you are now. So now let's talk about who you are now. Like, what do you do now and how, what's your relationship with food? Okay. Um, to go off of what you were just saying right now, I think that when you s- struggle with something like an addictive disorder, it's just, you're even through the recovery. I think part of the, uh, the required recovery that it takes is like, trading off one vice for the other right yes. so you're going from like extreme control over food to extreme control over your eating and then extreme control over like your house or stuff like that so, so for sure like just like seeing it as a trade-off for vices i think it's really common in like the powerlifting industry for people who have backgrounds with addiction to be like oh lifting is my therapy and i used to say that too but lifting is really not a therapy it's like you're not it's not a place for you to like organize your thoughts and articulate them and communicate them and express them and then address them in it's a healthier right yeah. in a healthier coping mechanism right it's just a way to release that energy where you're like okay i had this amped up energy because i don't know how to process it i don't know how to articulate it i don't know how to communicate it i don't know 
I don't have like I'm not equipped with the healthy tools to address this issue I have. Mm-hmm. I so love that, that you said that because people do say that the gym is my therapy and people I've like, definitely said yeah, it. Yeah, I do too. But but when we dive really into it, yes, it's that energy release. It's that okay, my like I've cri- I think I've cried lifting more than just like at home, like on the couch. I've cried on the Stairmaster yeah, like, so many not, times. Right? I've been crying on the Stairmaster. I've been crying like in the middle of a squat. And I'm like, I can't see. I'm like, this is so dangerous. But it does. Like, it's that energy release, but it's not the organization of like, okay, now that I've had this energy release, what do I do with it? Where do mm-hmm. I go from here? And I feel like that's where getting help with actual like therapists or talking to friends and family, that's where that can actually happen. The gym is just maybe like the start or something? The gym is like a weirdly socially acceptable form of like addiction. 100%. Like we are all obviously like very much so obsessed with lifting and like I don't, I feel like it's obviously a better vice than a lot of other options. But yeah, like you said, it's not going to fix any problems. It's just going to be like a means of an outlet to like maybe help you feel better temporarily right. or like have a, a community. Yeah. It can sure. also like be a term of avoidance like how many times have yeah. you gone to the gym to avoid many. even like work that you need to do or a feeling that you're having or to even avoid like just being alone with yourself because being alone with yourself that's when thoughts start to arise like when you're driving in the car or when you're in the shower you're sitting on the toilet you're like in alone and you're like oh i'm alone with myself I don't like it. <laughs> There's stuff that's happening. It is scary. Yeah. yeah, I think. But also it like provides a community where it kind of normalizes that kind of behavior, right? Where mm-hmm. like, if everyone's addicted to working out and everyone sees lifting as therapy, then like this is normal. Yeah. And I think it's very validating to have that kind of like external source and not just like mm-hmm. one person that's like a friend. Like you see multiple people in the community, whether it's like a prominent figure, whether it's someone just like a normal, you know, gym rat that sees lifting as therapy and you're like oh I'm doing something good for my body which you absolutely are you know like that's I don't think that takes away at all from what you're doing to provide like a positive value to your life but I would hope that like so like when you ask like okay where am I right now I would hope that like I want people to come across my page and see that like fitness isn't just about the physical aspect of it there's so many aspects of fitness right like Mm -hmm. if you're physical fitness is intact but your mental fitness isn't then it's you're you're just gonna always gonna be in a vicious cycle of trying to mm-hmm. like it's like a mole rat thing right like you're just like kind of chasing things that you will never satiate that oh that's a really good analogy like you hit one thing you've got it but then another thing pops up yeah. you hit that thing and another thing pops up and it's just like you said because the root of it isn't going anywhere shape-shifting right. yeah they just, they just come. And I love, and I think I can see, we could see that through your page because you show your dancing, you show that you do powerlifting, you show that like you're super feminine, but you're also can like, you can be in the masculine, you can be in the feminine at the same time. And it definitely comes across on your page. And, yeah. oh, there was one thing else I wanted to hit, but I can't remember it. So yeah. I was going <laughs> to say time. just a little note, like I'm, I'm so glad that the fitness industry in general is opening these doors to mental health that I feel like we used to not. I feel like it used to never be talked about. Body dysmorphia even wasn't talked about. Eating disorders weren't talked about. And they were super prevalent, just as prevalent as they are now. Just no one was sharing their experience. And it's like- I would like to say that, I mean, all of the industries, every industry has their things. mm -hmm. But I think that the fitness industry struggles- sometimes the most with mental health Mm -hmm. and body issues for the people that seem like they have their body shit together Mm -hmm. and they're eating together. I think that's one of the biggest industries that struggles the most with all of these things, because you can use gym, a gym as an escape goat for all of the things that you're dealing with. And you're right. The fitness industry does praise that and say like, that's a good thing that you're doing. And you're like, cool. Yeah. I don't have to deal with my childhood trauma and uh, any of this. I because just pour I it into gym. my muscles. Yeah, <laughs> I just squat heavier and I'll be fine. Yeah. And I think that the bodybuilding industry has really showed me that because I love using prepping for a bodybuilding show to grow more spiritually, physically, and mentally. Because when I am dieting to my lowest body fat percentage, my shadows pop up way more than they would when I have a full belly of food. Because then I'm like thinking more about how my body looks, how I am acting, or am I being perfect? Am I being on point? How are people seeing me? All of these things start popping up even more. And it can definitely be super detrimental if I didn't use it as a way to grow and be better. And I think that that's where the fitness industry can be a little bit better and more accepting 
And I think we're moving into that, which mm-hmm. is, which is really awesome. I'm glad to see. we are. Yeah. I think as a general, I think we're like more talking about like, it's a lot more common that you hear about like terms like emotional literacy and emotional maturity, emotional intelligence. And I think that plays into everything. Right. So like just being able to work on like consciously work on your emotional maturity by like not relying on lifting and like as a source of like an energetic outlet and I think, especially for powerlifting, right, it's, like, such an aggressive energy that you bring into the sport that it's, like, it's a great way to deal with your anger. And I've always been, like, very hot-headed, very short-tempered, and this is, like, the calmest I've ever been. And I love where I'm at right now where I've taken, like, two – it's been – it's taken two years, but – me realizing what kind of behavioral patterns I was experiencing to me being able to try to apply to, like, me – seeing this as like a part of who I am, like a default where I'm emotionally reactive as opposed to emotionally responsive. And I really have control over my, not just my physical fitness because people are like, oh, like where do you find the motivation? Where do you find the discipline? It's like that goes hand in hand with the mental growth, Mm -hmm. which also goes hand in hand with emotional growth. So me being able to address more than one aspect of fitness, I think is kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. And like literally the, our podcasts, like our description of the podcast is we want you to be fit in all aspects of your life. We want you to be mentally, physically, and spiritually fit because honestly, the, the last thing physically is always last because Mm -hmm. if you're spiritual and mental are all out of whack, you aren't even going to even reach the physical because the, the thing that I always like to say, like when you're on the Stairmaster and you're doing that hour of cardio for prep or like it's not even on prep. You're just like, I'm fucking tired. I want to get off. What is the first thing that tells you to get off? It's your mind. Your mind tells your body to get off. Your body doesn't say, Hey brain, let's get off. Mm-hmm. Your mind is controlling you staying there. You turning up the heat on the, you turning the fan on like our mind is controlling all of these things. So if we're not making sure that that is a muscle that we're continuously working out, then everything else in our life, it fails. It doesn't even matter at that point. And every time that it's very, very obvious whenever my mental is not wrong because everything else starts to fall apart yeah, in my no, life. Literally. And I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. I need to look a little That's bit more know. inward. That's Something's going know. on. I always say bodybuilding is very much so a mental sport. Do you think powerlifting is the same way or is it a little less because it's not like such an insane cutting phase? I mean, I think all sports are very mental. It's like you being able to, because I can just cruise through a set of like 10 to 15, right? It's just a matter of like, all right, just mind over matter, mind over matter. Everything's burning, but I'm just going to get through to 15. Mm-hmm. But like, whereas maxes, it's like, there's you just got to have like not a sliver of doubt going into your max not a sliver of doubt trying to go get into mm-hmm. this and just you might be trying to hit a number that you've hit or that you've never hit before but you need to go into it feeling like you already have it in your pocket or else it's going to completely mess with you you know like yeah and i know so many people including myself who are mental lifters where if you tell them like oh you're gonna lift 310 as opposed to 315 that like one plate difference mm-hmm. right can like completely mess with their head mm-hmm. I don't know if you're like, you, no I swear all the time you're okay. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like Can I swear I don't know <laughs> so when I used to train clients like literally when they're going for PRs I would instead of using big plates I would just stack little plates mm-hmm. that they can't do immediate math on I'm just like okay you're just gonna go for a set of like you know just that's literally try. what I do to myself I'm like don't <laughs> add it up until you do it because yeah. I I'm I train how I view it as like a power builder in my off season, especially I've always been so into powerlifting, which is why I like so badly wanted to like hear your story on it. Um, but yeah, I do the same thing where I'm like, don't look it up until after you do it. Because I, if I have that little bit of self-doubt, like I'll unrack the squat and I'm like, if I don't feel like I a hundred percent got this, I'll rack it. You and I'll be to like, today's not the day. Every fiber of your being to get there. Cause it might be like that little, it's, it's like, sometimes it's like a five pound difference that yeah. makes, you know, your, your make or break, you know? So it's like, it, you have to be mentally all there for sure. Yeah. So it can be a mental thing. And I think it's Ronnie Coleman that says like, is it Ronnie Coleman where he says he doesn't count the reps until it, it starts burning? And then he, yeah. then he starts counting. Yeah. It was either Ronnie or it was Arnold or they were, Arnold. yeah, was, yes. one of, one one of, of the, the greats. One of the greats says that, but it's so true because it's, it is very mental. And once you give yourself that number, that's the only number that you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to do a 110 pound squat. Okay. That's, that's what you're going to do. If you say yourself, that's what you're going to do. That's all you can do. I think it can also be super empowering though, to be like, when you do believe in yourself and you actually get that new mm-hmm. max, like I'm sure it's like so invigorating yeah. to or be like, you, I did that shit. Yeah. Exactly. Like what if your max was only 95 and you said, I'm going to do the 110. That could be su- super empowering. Yeah. And then like, if it's a rep thing, it's like, I'm just going to do 10 and you do your 10 easy reps. And then you're like, 
wait, like that, I cruised through that. I could have done so much more. Yeah. I, I love, I would, if I wasn't a bodybuilder, bro. Let's both switch to power. I would be a power lifter. I'm so down. That la- like last year, I really focused on my squat in my off season. You're strong and as my, fuck. my coach is a power lifter. Like the one that I train with, like with the new fit machine, which is like that little thing that sticks I to love you. Those. Amazing. I've never used it. So he trained me and like, I, it's crazy just how power lifters lift. Cause I was so impatient and I was like, mm. uh, can I go again? He's like, no, you're not ready. I'm like, can I go again? Can I go again? And he's like, if you don't wait, you're not going to be able to lift it. So when I was doing that and lifting, like a power lifter, it was literally just for my squat so that we can just, mm, just okay. focus on that. I was able to get to 350 and I was like, my wow. My legs would snap. I, it was I will so, never. <laughs> it was the most empowering thing ever. So that's like balancing that with Hell like yeah. the aesthetics of like bodybuilding, like having to do both is what I've been wanting to do and trying to do. And it's just super fun. Not to sound like I'm sure all the men in your DMs, but like, what are your maxes? On yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So my gym PR for squat is 320. Um, I think uh, comp PR is 308. Uh, gym PR for bench is 190. Or yeah, gym PR for bench is 190. Oh. Mm-hmm. I um, love when women bench. Like I, I when women it. bench I heavy, I'm like, mm, damn. I don't bench anymore because of my boobs. I'm just like, oh, I don't. Yeah, that's something to consider. You, yeah. She was talking, we were we were talking, talking about, about our chests early. Chesticles. <laughs> and yeah, like for me, I'm just like, I don't want to, I, I loved training chest so much, but I don't want my boobs to start like going different directions. So I'm just like, I'm just not, I'm just not going to do uh, it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Damn. Um, I don't know if that's a thing. It's just, I, I have made it a thing, but my doctor also Ask said, your doctor. I mean, <laughs> I, right. I've seen, I've seen people who bench. I see people who bench with mm. boobs. I think. Yeah. If I get boobs. Less range of motion. Right. (laughs) That's the, you get them just for competition. Right. Right. Um, And then deadlift, I think my gym PR is 390 and then my comp PR is 385. Hip thrust. That's insane. I got 600. Noise. Break that. I think I've seen the video of that. (laughs) Maybe. I feel like I'm sure it has come up on my for you page at some point. And I, do they do hip thrusts in competition anymore? (laughs) No, but they should because like it's, I think it's super cool. Like, uh, what's that guy? Uh, Brett Contreras, the glute guy or whatever. Everybody knows him. But he did, like, a competition to where it was his own powerlifting competition where he had that in it. And I was like, that's super cool. That's sick. I think, to me, it's a compound movement. Like, it's a compound movement. I think it should be added. It's really cool. But I don't know about getting the body or the powerlifting community into that. Right. I'm just on board with that. Have it specifically for the men's category. (laughs) I know. Every time I'm at the gym and I see men doing hip thrusts, I'm like, you go, girl. Oh, my God. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so glad that you're doing it. I love it when they do that. Mm -hmm. And also, most of the guys at the gym have better butts than me, and I'm really mad about it. I feel that. It's so annoying. I'm like, are you even... I just that's super cool I I love your story and I love just how strong and powerful you are and how many people that you inspire like with your story and thank you so much for being on here and for sharing it with everyone being open and vulnerable because it helps so many people and you're gonna get a lot of dms and people like thank you yeah for real I mean even me sitting here I'm like I'm impacted by it so yeah because I had coming like Kendall and I didn't know like we didn't know very much about Rue before she came on like we were like Kendall, you just met her today and yeah. I knew Rue <laughs> and I'd met Rue in person like a couple weeks ago. So it's like, we are learning this story along with her. Um, but this question that I want to ask and I ask every guest that we have is when was the moment that you realized how powerful you truly were? God, okay. Moment. Um, okay. So exactly a year ago today, I booked a one way ticket to Europe. So at this time I was traveling by myself in Europe last year. And I traveled through like 10 different countries and that was like one of the most liberating experiences of my life and just everything was on my terms. And I think during that time I had so much time to just reflect and that was like in the midst of my healing journey. Um, And I think uh, I was like on a hike in, it was like on a bucket list where I wanted to see all these waterfalls in Croatia. And I think um, when I was just like sitting there and then I like realized like all these like little pivoting points where I think at the time when I was struggling with bulimia, I would go on the internet to like find, basically look for hope. And Mm. at the time it was like all these forums about all these women who are going through it and just strategies to build your lifestyle around it. And I've always wanted to be a mom too. And all these moms talking about like, oh, you know, how they make bulimia work with motherhood. And no one was talking about what recovered life looked like. So I was like, 
all these people are, you know, sharing information about how to work around it, but like not to get through. And I was like, maybe this is just something that I just have to live with for the rest of my life. So for a long time, I just thought that recovery was full recovery was never possible. Mm -hmm. And so I think during my trial or during that moment when I realized that I got through that and also just like my first big heartbreak where I like hated who I became. I hated, hated, hated who I became. I was, I stayed in a relationship where I was continuously cheated on. I hated who I became. I was a complete people pleaser. Um, I was moving out of, I was moving for love, not out of love, which, you know, we learned that people pleasing is a form of manipulation, which mm-hmm. kind of stings, but it's like, because you don't mean to manipulate, but yeah. I was just like, oh my God, just like all these different things about me that I hated and I got through it. I got out of it. Um, and then, so just like me realizing that like, one, the recovery itself was, both a physical and mental transformation that I didn't even believe was possible at period. Mm-hmm. So the fact that like, I think in that moment I was like, well, that was, that was transformation number one. And then this was transformation number two. I was like, I'm like in a solid place right now. Like mm-hmm. I'm finally at a place where like, I feel like I am very much okay with people not liking me because I like how I do things. I love how I do things. And I was very much at peace with like how my own body image issues and how I was doing life and the fact that I kind of just dropped everything to just go travel, I think was selfish, but also just like, I don't think I was born and put on this life to clock in, clock out of a nine to five, you know, mm-hmm. and just like me being able to live life on my own terms. And like, that was such a big thing that I was able to do like a hundred percent on my own terms. So I was like, I, I'm literally creating life exactly how I wanted to. I was like, I'm literally the creator. Like I dictated this. I I facilitated this, I orchestrated all of this, you know, and so just seeing how everything where previously, you know, just unconsciously, I was in a victim mindset and I was like, you know, why me? We just talked about Literally two episodes ago. ago was shifting from victim mindset to creator mindset. So it's yeah. crazy that you yeah. like so hit cool. that on the head. Okay. That was wild. <laughs> so yeah, just like being able to shift from like, why me personal or like, why me? Why is this happening to me? Me trying to like, I even like bought a book that was like, why good things happen to bad people? Like I really didn't understand why I was in wow. all these different predicaments and just like trying to understand where I was without just taking ownership about it about it and so I think that moment when I like realized that when you you know there's to a certain extent like you know childhood traumas you can find the roots of it and be like oh my relationship with my mom is why I'm I am the way I am but at some point you have to take responsibility right Mm -hmm. so there's a point where yes you can blame someone but blaming if you continue to blame you're taking on the victim mindset so the second you go from blaming to simply attributing right like oh i can attribute my behavior now to this this trauma but Mm -hmm. the second you switch it i think is when you take ownership about it and then when you take accountability i think it's the most liberating thing so i think that the moment that i internalized that and i was like wait Mm -hmm. i did that i did this Mm -hmm. i was like i think that was when i felt the most powerful i was like wow yeah what a fucking good answer yeah (laughs) literally (laughs) that's crazy yeah that's so crazy because like in your situation you could have blamed the coach you could have blamed Mm -hmm. your mom you could have blamed the guy at the checkout you could have blamed all of these people for why you ended up struggling with bulimia but right then and there you took accountability for your part in it but yes like these people played a little part but at the end of the day it's my life it's my choices i can choose to be identified with a bulimic or I can choose to just be me. And in that moment, that's what you did. And that's very powerful and very liberating because like you said, like you're the powerful creator of your experience. In that moment, you realize that you were, and you're like, I, I, I just literally picked up everything and just went on a trip. I can, if I can create that, what else can I create? Yeah. And it's endless. And I think this is just the beginning because now look a year to the day later, you're traveling to Austin, like you work full time, like as a content creator. And a year ago you were sitting there like, uh, wow, I am in Europe and I'm taking about accountability for everything that happened in my life. And look, a year from now, you're going to look back at this moment and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> There's so much more yeah. that's coming from you and I'm excited to also, see it. I wanted to share, like, I haven't shared this with like, anyone outside, like my, like my very, very like small circle. Um, so when I came back from my Euro trip, which was around almost two months, um, me trying to figure out how to make my life work, um, I was Ubering and lifting. Mm-hmm. So like, wow. just like, I was like, what can I do where like, I don't need to like commit, like, it's like a huge commitment, right? Like mm-hmm. you can just 
start, quit whenever you want to. So I, that was like, you know, my, well, my parents hated it because they were like, you have a college degree. Like, why are you doing something that a high school graduate can do? And so obviously it's like a whole cycle of like blame again. But I was like, no, I'm going to figure it out. Let me figure it out. Let mm-hmm. me just do what I need to do. And then so the fact that I went from like the beginning of this year to of like zero income to now I'm just – I'm about to sign with like two other con- con- uh, companies mm-hmm. now, um, which I'm super excited for. So I'll be contracted to three companies and also coming out with an app soon. But um, just like it's just like literally within a span of a year, I was like, I- I'm like making this happen, you know, and I just literally I said that I was going to make a living doing what I love and I'm in the I process of manifesting it. So mm-hmm. Good. So, so grateful so grateful that's amazing. i have a quick question yeah. um just because you are new to like me um how long have you been doing social media for and then how long of doing it did it start turning into like any form of income for you okay so i started posting food when i was in college and then during teaching i think up until 20 20- 17 mm-hmm. I took a complete break from social media so no no Facebook no Instagram nothing and I think I started posting it around 2017 um and I all this was like another just limiting belief but I was like I don't think like business like and I don't think in terms of monetization whereas you know both my brother and my dad would walk into any business and be like okay based on this square footage and based on the number of workers they're probably making this much bringing in this much mm-hmm. I, I just don't care to think about that and I also thought that I would just be like volunteering for the rest of my life so I just me thinking about money one is uncomfortable but two also just like that's not my natural predisposition to yeah. think like that mm-hmm. so I think when people would tell me things like, oh, like you're sitting on so much money, you're sitting on so much money. I'm like, okay, but like what action steps do I need to take? Like what tangible advice yeah. can you give mm-hmm. me it to do something about me, quote unquote, sitting on money? Yeah. Um. So I think, you know, I think when I was sitting during COVID, I reached around, so a year ago today, I was at 1.6 million on TikTok and they were like, why aren't you doing anything with it? Like where, where where's your business? Because I was literally not monetizing at all. Yeah. Um, Which I think is a testament to the fact that you weren't doing it for money. I don't think any of us like started it for like, yeah. we're just going to do this for money. Because you don't think that this is something that you yeah. can make money doing because right. so many people say that you can't or that it's not a job. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's crazy. So, so yeah, you had 1.6 million during, and then you. And then at the time I was still tutoring. I was like an SAT tutor. So I was just, that was like my main job mm-hmm. is me educating other people and like literally the academic field. Um so I think, honestly, so I was like, I had a few partnerships here and there. And then before the trip, I dropped everything. So that was like me making like side hustle money. So nothing mm-hmm. sustainable. Got it. Um, me making sustainable income, I think was like, I'm like three months in. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. That's so awesome. So it's like a long time coming, but that um, makes fresh. it like more exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it literally just took you taking a chance on you. I'm the same way, by the way. Yeah. Like this is the first year I've ever like made money from social media. It feels cool. fucking good. I'm so proud of you guys. That's awesome. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you so much for being on here. Thank you for so much. Me. Where can people find you on social? I also have it linked in the show notes that people can find you, but okay. where can people find you? Um, you can find me at the period little beast on both Instagram and TikTok. Such yeah. a cute name. I know. And it's, <laughs> it's so true. Well, thank you all so much, guys, for being here. And as always, we love you all so much. And you are more powerful than you think. Bye. Bye. <laughs> thank you for tuning in to the Know Your Power podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend and rate and review the show. Also, if you have any questions that you'd like to be answered on the show, feel free to email us at knowyourpowerpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, Bye.